Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey everyone, this is DJ. And this is Ish. And this is Season 5 of Pero Let Me Tell You. So with us today, we have someone who, you know, we talk to people from all walks of life and sometimes we like to pretend we're intellectual and smart. So we invite authors on our show. <laughs> um, this guest is an author. He's not just a poet. He is an inaugural poet. He read one of, a poem at um, President Barack Obama's second inauguration and also a quick look at his wikipedia also showed that he's a civil engineer which i had no idea he was as well um so thank you so much for joining us uh, i got with us today richard blanco thanks for joining us man <laughs> yeah good to be here yeah the civil engineering thing always catches people by surprise <laughs> was, was that kind of like you know when you told your parents you wanted to be a writer they were like no 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 you can write pero tienes que you know get a, a degree in something that you can go and get no. a job no, not really. I mean, I'm sure it could have gone that way, but I mean, honestly, as a working class immigrant kid from El Barrio, from from Westchester, um, it just wasn't, you know, I, I the, the idea of even the realm of the arts was not, not even a reality, so it wasn't even like a choice. It wasn't even, I, I even myself dreamed of. Um, and I wasn't, um, I was always left brain, right brained, obviously, so it wasn't like I was a really artistic kid or really like brainy kid i okay. loved everything so i just found my way i didn't start writing till i was like 27 actually really um, yeah <laughs> oh wow that that usually you know when people go down that route of the arts it's something that manifests very young you know it's like oh since i was you know an embryo i've always wanted to write poetry. yeah i know i i don't i don't necessarily think i believe those people but, <laughs> but you never know i mean i think we all have our journey and that's what i try to tell my students is no matter you know where you end up everybody has their unique journey so i actually started writing poetry because of engineering um because my job was had like like 50 percent of my job was writing and of course by the time you finish engineering school 
I don't think I'd written a, a complete sentence in three years. I knew how to, you know, I knew how to solve quadratic equations and how to do calculus in three dimensions, but I had don't couldn't write a sentence. But how much my job depended on it, and so I started, you know, writing letters, proposals, studies, um, all sorts of written communication skills, and one of them, most importantly, proposals. Um, you know, proposal is nothing but a narrative in some ways of the project and your vision for it, and and you get and you get forty million dollar job. Guess who gets the promotion? So, <laughs> <laughs> so by the end of my career, uh, and I was a civil uh, uh, practicing licensed civil engineer by the end of my career, but nine percent of my job was really engineering the rest was <laughs> the rest was management people skills uh, <sighs> writing the um, red tape of it all <laughs> yeah so anyway i started writing and i got really into it and then my right brain kicked in and said hey why don't we do something creative but i, I was never going to abandon engineering because uh, for poetry even though there's so much money in poetry i was really tempted to but, <laughs> but is it really I, 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 I know nothing about poetry. I'm like, you could tell me it makes a dollar. You could tell me it makes a million. I have no clue. Like, Well, when the White House calls you, you're in a whole different league. Than okay, fair that. enough. No. Fair enough. Fair no, enough. It's, it's always a night job, not a day job for the most part. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just started, uh, I just, you know, I, I just started to explore my intellectual and creative curiosities. I didn't have a master plan. Mm -hmm. um, so as you we know, like, you yep. literally like fell into this. It, it was just like something you started doing for you. At first. Yeah, pre yeah, pretty much. Um, just to add to my resume, so to speak, of of life, and then I just one thing led to another, and and another, and another, and another, and another, and another, and another. Uh, but it was really interesting. I, I always wonder. I mean, I, I always had a creative side, um, but it, neither side is really dominant. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, on both left brain and right brain, and it wasn't until recently that I realized really why I became a poet. And I think, um, I think it had to do that. I never, I don't remember ever not knowing two languages. And I think since I was a little kid, like translating for my parents when I was like five, and understanding that language was not just something you took for granted or just a way to communicate, but that. It was a way of living. It was a way of breathing in the world. It was power. Um, you know, once you left Miami, uh, my parents were our my my linguistic mercy. My brother, <laughs> my linguistic mercy. They were like didn't speak English. We could do whatever the hell we wanted. So I could, I think that imprinted in me at a young age. And when it came to time to do something creative, I think I naturally was always really fascinated with language, even though I didn't know it. That's interesting that you you know you've mentioned you're you're both left brain and right brain and you know we just talked about like the two languages I, I i can relate to that part because i just i don't ever recall a moment of not not that i didn't know both languages of not speaking both languages of not just feeling like i can you know go between the two and that's something that you know exists in a lot of your work right is that exploration of of that duality and and Maybe even more than that. Again, you're the poet, so I don't even know if triality is a word. Um, but like, you know, it's it's about all the different facets that that make us who we are. Did you feel like that was something you you kind of consciously set out to explore in your writing, or is it something again that just sort of denasio? Um, no, I mean that was more purposeful, but also um, 
for for a few reasons. One, on a on a very craft level, on a craft basis, right? Mm -hmm. um, if you're making a movie about a Cuban family, you would naturally the director would say, well, I want some Spanish in the room. I want people talking Spanish, right? So in a way, it's a soundbite. It's a, it's a device. It's just hearing Spanish. So you, so you don't necessarily need to know what the Spanish says, but it, you understand it in context, maybe. Um, but it's also, you know, imagine, because, you know, that's that was the life was being led in Spanish. So, so um, that's part of what I wanted to reflect is the not only being bicultural but bilingual um and then you're right there's an interesting space in between those two um that happens um in the writing so there's a translator that i work with that told me your work you know i'm not going to translate your work i'm like what are you talking about like it's like i'm going to put it back in the original language um because a lot of the poems is, that have to deal with family and whatnot uh, or narrative poems that have to deal with family there's things that happened in spanish so the poem that i wrote in english is already a translation in part of my, how i see it in english right okay. and so he said i'm just going to put the poems back in the original language they happened and it was really fascinating to watch that so like i you know i would use sort of friendly words like caramba or something like that and like he'd tell me did your mom really say caramba or what did she God, no. really say? <laughs> no, absolutely not <laughs> something much worse than that right bare minimum so, carajo uh, yeah, right, bare minimum right so there's always this fluidness of 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 how you move between languages in the same way that that we do when we speak it but also how we move between cultures right um yeah. and how we some days feel this way some days feel part that way and all, all that is reflected in the work. It's funny you, you mentioned that because I my background is actually in multicultural marketing. And there's there's a phrase that I've, I've picked up over the years and I, I've always adhered to, which I think is similar to what your translator was saying, which is when you take something that's in English, you should not just translate it into Spanish, but you should transcreate it. You know, right. it's it's take the essence of it. And sometimes it is just a simple translation, but take the essence of it and make sure that the meaning is coming through and you're not just going through the motions because people can tell. Yeah, yeah, it's it's um, it's yeah, there's a whole art to translating. Um, I, I can't I wouldn't consider myself a translator by any means, but I do in my there's some poems that I um, that I find interesting that are almost like exercises for me, um, though I publish them. And usually it's when I spend like s several days, an extended period of time in a Spanish speaking country and especially Cuba where I start thinking in Spanish. Mm -hmm. uh, it takes me like three days, but then, um, anyway, I'll start writing something in Spanish and write one or two or three lines or so stanza, then translate it into English, hmm. and rework the English to make sense better sense reverse translate it into spanish again translate it a second time into english and i keep on doing that back and forth no, que trabajo, man. so i find it's kind of like finding how to say one thing the best way in both languages and of course i can only do that with my work as a translator would probably not dare to do that much but i don't consider it a poem in translation but rather it's created at the same time and i I publish it in, you know, as one poem, like in parts of Spanish, parts in English, parts of Spanish, part in so it's it's a reflection of, of code switching too, <laughs> but um, yeah. but I find it it's interesting to see the weaknesses and the strengths of both languages um, 
and the space in between them. Wow, the codes, that's such a great term that, that I've only recently become uh, familiar with, code switching, because yeah. it, it's so, it, 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 the meaning is in the name, right? Like, and if you know what they're talking about, it's like we do it every single day, even like micro code switching. It, it's, it's ridiculous how, how big a part it is in our daily lives. Well, that's the name of the show. <laughs> that's a code switch. <laughs> right? Well, this is, you know, we're, we're on pedal, let me tell you, but, you know, this is, uh, it's, you know, we, we code switch here all the time. <laughs> yeah. And there's, uh, there's also a uh, 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 Miami accent, which we can pick up, too. Oh, yes, we can. Have, have they, did they tell you that in Maine? You have an accent, where are you from? Or No, they're too, they don't know enough people from Maine, but they, but I can, I can hear it, like, I can hear someone from Miami. And there's actually a phenomenon, I'm not going to get into it, but Dr. Philip Carter from the Linguistics Department at FIU. And I where you, where you teach as well. Yeah, where I teach. Yeah. He's a linguist. He's a linguist. And um, there, it is a unique phenomenon. And I forgot he explained it to me about how why it happens. And it's, it is becoming more and more distinct, actually. Uh, it's a mixture of code switching with accent, with other things. It's, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, it's, I always say Spanglish in and of itself is an actual language. And to understand it, to speak it, to even write it properly takes a lot of almost firsthand knowledge because otherwise you just sound like you're forcing it. You know, you wind, right. up, you wind up saying things like, you know, man, this fiesta's caliente. It's like, I don't, that, no, 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 that's not Spanglish. That's just, no. that's Google Translate maybe, but that's not Spanglish at all. Yeah. So, Let's go back a little bit because you you have a very interesting story insofar as like, you know, you you if I remember correctly and please correct me if I'm wrong, you weren't even really born in Cuba. Right. You you were created in Cuba and then yeah. your your family went to Spain. You were born there and then you came to the U.S. I believe it was New York for for a hot minute. And then I think there was somewhere else and then Miami. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, um, as I like to say, I was um, made in Cuba, assembled in Spain, and import, imported <laughs> to the United States. So my mom, yeah, I was my mom was seven months pregnant uh, with me. Um, then I was born in Madrid, and forty-five days after I was born, we emigrated again to the United States. So oh, I, my uh, yeah, my uh, my newborn photo is actually my green card photo. That's the only photo we had they had of me. Um, and we were in New York till I was like four, and then we moved to Miami. I think nineteen seventy-two. Um, so um, it was. I mean, I think there's a lot to that because, you know, I think what I would end up writing about as an adult was the seeds of that were already being planted. I think. Um, the sense of place and belonging and home and identity yeah. were already a mess by 45 days old. I belonged to three countries and none. Um, I wasn't a citizen of any country until I was 17. Um, really? Yeah, because my parents had assumed que I was español, but, but Spain was like, you have to fill out paperwork. You're done. You're done. done. I had no oh, paperwork. <laughs> So you were a citizen of nowhere for of the Atlantic Ocean, basically, <laughs> and like then my parents made me a, a, wow. a U.S. citizen when I was seventeen. But yeah, I was I literally had no citizenship since we didn't travel internationally; it never came up. Um, but uh, it was interesting. So all that sort of started already f sort of um, forming 
what I call the obsession. I think every writer has a unique obsession that informs their work. Um, and as we like to say, like every writer is writing one poem or one story all their life, which is that one thing that keeps on coming back to them, that one thing that they can't completely answer, and that one thing that keeps on asking new questions of itself. And certainly that has been my journey. It's always about, even in my engineering, I ended up specializing in city planning and town development, which was all about sitting with a community for like three years and basically teasing out of them, how do we translate your sense of place and home? What's How do we remake this place in a way that honors our past? What do we get rid of? What is meaningful and serves the same things that I negotiate in my in my poetry is like what is you know memory um all these kinds of things um so yeah even that sort of crossed over <laughs> that's awesome yeah it, it's it's interesting because you know then you fast forward a couple of years and you write uh prince of los cocuyos and i have to tell you i have to ask a question number one a cocuyo is the little the little bugs that right that they light up like the yeah. fire, okay, I had never seen it spelled out, so that's why I have, I'm asking. Unless I'm totally misremembering my childhood. Um, yeah. <laughs> why did you make the decision? Because it is a memoir, but you you kind of change the names, you know, to, to protect the innocent, as Law and Order would say, right? You know, what was the decision there in in saying, you know, I'm going to write a memoir, but I'm not going to use the names, like, but you weren't shying away from saying what it, that it was, right? Right. So, um, yeah, Cocuyos are, um, there used to be a lot in Miami after so developed now that they've gone away. Um, Melisica, I used to, every spring we would always get the empty compota bottles. We would poke the holes in it and we'd go hunting for them. (laughs) Yeah. They're like, you know, basically like fireflies, but they're actually not fireflies. They're beetles. And so their eyes light up. Um, so there are no luciernagas, which is what los españoles would say, because luciernagas, fireflies don't, don't live in the tropics so it's our version of fireflies why did i change the name so part of it a couple of decisions that i made artistically there were this is a childhood memory childhood memoir right so um technique not technically but sort of from the age of seven to 17 right Mm -hmm. so that alone right there is telling me memories are imperfect right um and you're not going to remember all the details that are necessary to sort of map out a story. So, um, so part of it, it was just, I wanted, I didn't want to pinpoint things rather. This is kind of what I remember it like, but I also don't want it, you know, like, um, you know, I did name out some places and some things, but also, you know, memory is like this blur. My childhood is kind of this more like impressions than, than you know, facts and figures, places and names. So that was part of it. Um, and part of it was practical. Um, I think, you know, I just didn't want to call my cousin so-and-so out there. <laughs> because, also, you know, it's also a melange of like how, who knows if I really if that really happened or if I remember okay. them that way, maybe they were different than that. So, or maybe, maybe it wasn't that cousin that said such a thing, but it was another one. So that was part of like, you know, sort of just how all this, all these sound bites in my head were, were, were mashing up together. Um, so that was part of it. And then also I didn't even put like dialogue in the way that you would mm-hmm. normally with tags, you know, each line of dialogue right. in a separate, in a separate line. 
um, because to me it's more like a flow of consciousness of memories. And so even the dialogue is sort of like, well, this is what I think I heard in the room, right? right <laughs> Something right, right. like this. You're seven years old, and, and yeah, but to tell us, <laughs> yeah, but to tell a story, you, you kind of want to be in that space and not, you know, not as an adult, but you want to be in that space as a child, telling that story as it happens. So um, yeah, there. Are, if I if I if I wrote. Uh, I wrote another memoir, which is about um, uh, serving as an inaugural poet. So it's called uh, "For All of Us Went Today: An Inaugural Poet's Journey." Very different book. I mean, there I had to get everything right and every name, everything, and fact checked um, upon fact checked. I'm sure. Yeah, and just a whole different tone. It's really small chapters instead of these huge chapters that are the first memoir. Um, um, so yeah, and if I wrote this other memoir I'm working on right now is driving me crazy, but it also <laughs> needs a whole different kind of structure because it's about something very factual uh, that I never experienced, but I want to write about it as a memoir. So go figure. <laughs> and I don't want to make it a novel because I think this deserves to be a memoir. So it's almost it's almost a memoir about the process of finding a memoir, creating a memoir about something that's, that's obsessed you for 35 years and you can't explain why. And so you can't write from memory. You have to write from memory, from the writing of it as you write. <laughs> it's really strange. Wow. That is the most meta explanation of a book I've yeah, ever heard meta. in my life. <laughs> it could win the Pulitzer Prize or go straight to the trash can. We're not sure. <laughs> Coño, those are the only two options. Like, <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Damn. Well, all right. The, the book did the book did well. It's just not, you know, <laughs> not that exciting. At least when it goes in the trash, you get angry and you, and you fight back and you want to and you and you work even harder. Okay. Just, okay. So it's motivating, I guess. We'll, we'll look for the positive. Failure there somewhere. could be motivating. Yeah. Failure could be motivating. I live my life that way. Um. So, but but let's talk about a success, shall we? So. You know, when you were selected for to be the inaugural poet, um, you know, you read your your poem uh, "One Today" uh, at uh, Barack Obama's second inauguration. How did that happen? Where did that come from? How did you, you know, w what is that process like of even being selected? Um, it's still somewhat uh, somewhat of a mystery. So, um, a <laughs> um, couple of things about that. Um, I, you know, my, my life then was um, I for the most part like i was engineer by day poet by night i carried both careers i think my third book had come out um and i was at a point in my life where i was just like you know what i i sort of really reconsidered reevaluated what i was doing as a poet and recommitted to it mm -hmm. and actually left engineering and just took a leap of faith and said you know i, I could afford i could afford it at the moment right. um and uh, just sort of said, okay, what's next with my writing life? And then this happened. So that happened like two months later. So you just get a phone call. I was driving home from Massachusetts. Uh, I'm sorry, through Massachusetts from New York where I had gone to a, had done a poetry reading. And um, yeah, you just get a phone call. There's no shortlisting. There's no really? nominations. There's no... It's kind of like you're just winning the lotto, and you just like, or like the MacArthur uh, Genius Grants are like that. They're very mis nobody knows how they got them. They just get a phone call one day. It's like a letter from um, Hogwarts. One day it just shows up. <laughs> it just shows up, um, 
And, uh, you know, not every president has an inaugural poet. It's not like we're waiting around like the Olympics every four years right. to see who's going to be named. Um, <laughs> you were only the fifth. So, right. You were only the fifth, oh, my friend. And uh, you were I'm the fifth? Yeah, yeah. You, you were the first and was immigrant, the first Latino, the first openly gay. I mean, you checked a lot of boxes, my friend. Yeah. And at the, at the time, the youngest, um, now Amanda Gorman, who's, who's, oh, who's she, amazing. She um, had to show up and ruin that one. Take that one away from you. <laughs> no, she was – it was – no, that was good. Ten years was a good run. I was like, finally. <laughs> no, she's she's great. I've I've met her and we've hung out and um, but because it's also very isolating and lonely because there's only six people who know what that experience is like. Right, right. Only in the world. Like my partner says, more people have gone to the moon than it served. <laughs> I, can't, I can't just call my poet friends. Hey, remember last time you read over to forty million people? Like, what was that like? And then six people and three of them are dead. So like. Yeah. At this point, it's only me, Amanda, and um, uh, Elizabeth Alexander. But um, yeah, um, I got the call um, uh, on December twelfth. Uh, by January twenty first, I had to be on the stage in front of a million people, and you know, so <laughs> I had to write the poems. I, they asked me to write three poems. Um, so basically, I had to write three poems in three weeks, and then leave two weeks for um, media. Right whatever getting ready to get over there and buying clothes we lived in maine well, I mean, yeah and we had no clothes you're like, not gonna show up to an inauguration looking like un sarapastroso come on like no. <laughs> i mean like, we lived in there for, we had been living in maine like for 10 years so like in a small town i don't think i had worn a suit in like five years <laughs> and all we have is a macy's like that's about it so like um all those kinds of persons it was a lot of, it's all in the memoir it was kind of fun and exciting and exhilarating and terrifying and and all the rest and beautiful and like um but i have i've had opportunity to speak with the president um sit with the president several times since then not before then i had never met him before so okay. that was history and um i kind of wanted to ask him but i didn't ask him because i prefer my romantic version of him sitting in the oval office actually we were in the oval office one time wow, that's pretty damn cool. uh, of him reading his poems and my poems and canceling his meetings and like <laughs> i just like get this blanco in here for the inauguration but i'm sure it wasn't i mean you never know the thing is you never know maybe that you know one of the daughters my work is taught in some schools brought home a poem but probably he was given a few a few poets to choose from but he i know he did choose me personally and in conversations uh with him you know there, there's obviously a common denominator here which is you know if i've i thought my life made in cuba assembled in spain and poor united states was complicated can you imagine president <laughs> obama's i mean that's a complicated that is fair that is fair <laughs> right so you know, living in Hawaii, the, the layer of racial identity, um, all the rest. And I, and, you know, ask, I always see, you know, little Ricky Obama asking kind of the same questions about. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. 
Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Am I American? Do I belong to this country? Am I part of this narrative? Who am I? You know, how do I negotiate all this? Who we are? Um... And, and what's here for us or not, right? Mm-hmm. So even though he's not necessarily an immigrant, I think there was a kind of an immigrant experience. Um, right. And um, growing up in Hawaii, I've been to Hawaii. You might as well be an immigrant. I mean, Hawaii is its right. own country at the end of the day. And, right? it, and it reminds me a lot like Miami where like you, you, I would go to these classes and you look out and it's, and it's pretty much 90% Asian American mm-hmm. um, or, or Asian um, and that's the norm and just like in Miami really like 90 percent of my classmates were were Cuban just like me and it was it was the kids that had freckles and didn't speak Spanish that got picked on so it was like an interesting seeing that environment and you feel like part of the United States but not really you know like that's you you I love that you just teed me up for my next uh my next question and topic um so you you did write a collection of of poetry called how to love a country mm-hmm. and i think what you were touching on you know right there is is a little bit in the sense that you know when you grow up in miami you you grow up it's it's a weird especially i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna lump us together because we grew up with hearing about the american dream right and that we left you know cuba we left the communism so you could come here and have opportunities and this this and this and then as you get older you start to open your eyes ideally and you see certain things that you may not agree with, but you still can't fully, or at least I can't, I'm not going to speak for you. I can't fully turn off the, this is why my parents came here for, for the, you know, my grandparents, not even my parents, you know, my grandparents, the better life of it all. Is that partially what you were, you know, what, what you're feeling when, when you're sitting down to write these and, and in the years since, because you can make the argument that the country hasn't gotten any easier to love um, right. Right. <laughs> um, since, since you wrote those, you know, those works. Where did that come from? And, and, and it's just, I, 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 I'm just going to end it yeah. there because I, I could just kind of go on stumbling for words yeah, and you're the and poet. So, you know, great, great, a uh, bunch of great points um, uh, to think about. Um uh, first of all, that book was sort of an outgrowth of the experience of, of being an inaugural poet in the mm-hmm. sense that that's arguably the most public civic moment for poetry in America where 40 million people hear one poem. And so it thrust me into this other kind of space where I'm reading for um, the FDIC and at, <laughs> at the USDA and at Sil- Silicon Valley and all sorts of really under really being in touch with a greater landscape of america mm-hmm. and americans um and seeing how poetry created these conversations around uh things that i people i had never talked to or i'd never met so so it was part of like sort of being that public poet and thinking about the other piece of it it's kind of still the same obsession about home except now i wasn't thinking just like oh i'm cuban like mm-hmm. You know, am I Cuban or American or, you know, Miami? It was more like, what the hell is a country? Like, like, what is home to all of us? And in a lot of those conversations, a lot of people were like, you know, 
you made me feel like part of this country for the first time. People who weren't even Latino or oh, Latinx, because there was questions, the same questions that I had about belonging. I saw that they were out there. Um, and so it was part of just asking the same question, but on a larger scale and exploring um, uh some of the history that I never really like that's another great point like I I can't completely as I always like to say my mother's more of an American than I could ever be because of yep. the act that act of faith that leap of faith of leaving behind her eight brothers and sister her parents everything for the sake of a country she barely really even understood but believed in its ideals and values right um and uh, the third poem that they asked me to for the White House is all about her, um, the, the third one that I wrote. Um, and so I always have, I always think also when we grow up, we we kind of not only grow up by culturally bilingual, um, in some cases bisexual. That's if you're really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and then you also go, go by by historically, right? So we remember we'd read in the history books all these great things about JFK, but then there was this other stuff in another perspective that was like, no, that was not good for us. Or all these great things about Cuba. <laughs> and then we're like, or, you know, so I would learn kind of early to be moderate or to understand that history and truth is somewhere in the gray. And I think that's where I wanted the poems to be. I didn't want poems that were just poems of protest. I wanted, yes, you need to call, call out what what needs to be called out, but also I think a poet and a poem should offer another a way out, another way, uh, uh, another discourse, another conversation, ask questions that we're not asking, ask them differently, um, um, explore, deepen the exploration of what seems on, on the surface a very black and white topic and really understand that nothing is black and white. Um, but, um, so yeah, it was a, it was an exploration of looking at that history um, and looking at my present and looking at my own, my own uh, family history and, and real connection to this country, not necessarily to Cuba, but what the hell were they doing here? What was going on? Right. And, and, uh, um, and it is. It's kind of like um, it's, instead of asking, you know, what is home, it's like, well, what's a country? You could almost put a question mark on the title instead mm -hmm. of how to love a country. It's like how to how how to love a country. Like how do you love a country? What is a country? Especially a country this big. Can we even? I mean, um, I. I'm, it is sad to say that we can't find common ground. Uh, and yet we have so much of it, really. If you if you, yeah. if you strip us away, we have probably more commonalities than differences in, in, a, yeah. in a weird roundabout way. And I think that's what a poem can do. So um, I won't mention any names, but someone who is kind of not moderate <laughs> in my family uh, read the book and said that their, their two favorite poems were Complaint of El Rio Grande, which is all about um, uh, Mexican migration, and and the other one was um, what was the other one? Um, um, something about oh, um, until we could, which is a poem about gay marriage or marriage equality. I'm like, do you understand that you just picked out two of the most controversial topics that you don't believe in? And like, like, and so it was really interesting to watch that. And then we got into this conversation and like, and it was interesting. Like we shared some different perspectives because the poem was in the gray. And yeah. so we talked in the gray and, um, yeah. 
Yeah, you you stripped away the rhetoric that that people surround right. themselves with, or nowadays the clickbait that people surround themselves with, and right. and they could just again when you let somebody sit with their own thoughts, nine times out of ten, yeah. we're probably going to agree on more things than disagree. I like to think so. I, I'm an eternal optimist. I don't know if that makes me tremendo como mierda, but that's you know. Me too, and I and I think and I think optimism in our country comes from our parents again, right? Like that whole, you know. This can't go down because, <laughs> like, like the book was it was an anime and this I forget it was Achio who wrote. We came all the way here so you could dress like that. It's <laughs> 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 like the best item. Um, oh, you just sounded like my no, grandmother. We're, we're like this is it. Like this is the last stop. We're not. You know, this has got to work. Like, yeah. um, but it is sad to see some of the same things that you know some of the same things that our parents used to tell us about you know the neighbor against neighbor kind of thing that weirdness that's going on so um but i am an optimist i think i think um i think it'll find a way yeah i hope so because that way we can continue to enjoy your works such as what you're working on right now with one of our favorite south florida ladies vanessa garcia for she co-created the amparo experience and i had no idea you guys were working together until like literally earlier today yeah, we just uh, we wrote a, a play that was commissioned by Portland Stage uh, in Maine, mm-hmm. Portland, Maine. Um, I had started the project and then realized um, I didn't have. I I thought well, I was a poor reader because we didn't have books in my house. Like we weren't <laughs> the books we had on how to learn English for my parents. So I always read for book reports. I read poetry or I would read. Um, plays because they were small <laughs> true a lot, lot of stage direction <laughs> i mean you could get through a play in like an hour you know like so um but i ended up loving theater and so when they asked me to write the play i was like sure i was like who can't write like 70 pages like, <laughs> it was one of the hardest things i've ever had to do in my life because it was like for a poet it was like writing with two hands with your hands tied behind your back and like one eye closed you know Jeez. um because you don't have the, all the same tools. All you have is dialogue. You don't have detailed description. Oh, like, true. you know, um, I, I can't describe the plastic covered sofa for three sentences and the texture. <laughs> Somebody's <laughs> got to do it in, in the play, but it's got to be. So anyway, um, I I took a stab at it. It was half decent, and then I met um, Vanessa because I went to Amparo, and then we. I was fascinated by the immersive, immersive, immersive theater mm-hmm. concept that that she's so good at, uh, so wonderful at, um, so amazing at. Um, and then we just got to talking. I was like, "Hey, you want?" She loves collaborating, so that was great too. So I was like, "It's been such a delight working with with her. Um, so easy." Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a play called right now. It's called Sweet Goats and Blueberry Senoritas, um, and the premise is. Uh, a Cuban woman moves to a small town in Maine. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Wherever love, did you get the uh, idea? <laughs> I wonder. Uh, for love, um, she um, she gets uh, her family comes from a long tradition of generation of bakers, and so she gets divorced here. Um, she decides to stay, opens a bakery, um, but now is reaching a. a sort of an inflection point in her life where she needs to decide is this going to be it forever or for or for the next the foreseeable future 
or do I move back to Miami? And of course, there's a lot more going on and conflicts and characters and whatnot. But, but it's it's again about home, place, and identity. <laughs> so, and the the title alludes to some of the stuff that happens in her bakery, uh, which is part of the symbology of the play. So, I love it. It sounds a little bit like a like a like a Cuban American version of the musical Waitress. In, in <laughs> I haven't seen it, I, and it will be. It will be. There will be food because uh, Vanessa is a big foodie. So part of, a lot of it, a lot of the play has to do with the bakery. So there is going to be an immersive element of it of of food. Ooh, <laughs> okay, you had me at food. I mean, I I will go to. I will fly to Portland, Maine for the premiere if you promise me some type of baked goods. <laughs> I hope. I hope eventually it'll it'll come to the Arched or something um, or Gable Stage. Um, it it's it's we're just doing now the second round of workshops they call them and mm-hmm. and practice uh, workshop rehearsals uh, workshop performances, but I think it'll be sometime in um, early twenty twenty three. Um, oh, will be, be debut. That's around the corner, dude. Yeah, for a play, I didn't realize that's actually pretty fast. That's like, ridiculously fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just started like a year and uh, maybe a quarter and like so. Yeah, and because you are a glutton for punishment, you're also involved in the uh, the the play that's being written for Waiting for Snow in Havana too. So you know, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, that's you, uh, that's uh, that's gonna be uh, it's a musical actually, yes. which is probably more challenging. And that's a huge collaboration because you have uh, lyricists. In this case, we'll probably have a co-lyricist. We have you have the composer. You have the the book writer, the one that writes the actual script. You have a, a dramaturg, if I can pronounce that correctly, a you did, chore- you did. choreographer and a director. Like, and God knows, probably like ten other people. And all these people got to be like buzzing in the same sort of oh, the same, sure. the same way, or else like you can imagine. So that's that's still not hasn't started. Um, we're just sort of in the um, contract phase right now but that's really exciting because i think it's an important story it's it's a challenging musical because it's not like um because the story is of course um i mean it's told interestingly uh in the book but it's also it's also got a lot of gravitas so it can't be exactly hairspray so <laughs> there's gonna be more than <laughs> entertainment value even though you know that obviously hairspray made a big yeah, maybe harvey firestein's available but uh, we'll see. I have no idea what, you know, the composer. And, and yeah. So I'll be the lyricist and or co-lyricist. Um, and I've had a, it's funny, my life has been pulling me in that direction. Um, I've had other musical projects where they asked me to write lyrics. Um, um, I've been moving more towards the performing, performing mm-hmm. arts and TV and film and things like that. I don't know where that's coming from, but... Um, it's interesting. Um, the connection is that it's all language. It's different kinds of language and how you use it. Or, um, but it's fascinating to sort of watch that. Like, and how to. It's a little bewildering too because you have to switch hats. So, like, okay, I'm going to be a poet for the next four hours, and then I'm going to be a lyricist. Like, don't get too deep. Just make the shit rhyme. Like, <laughs> does it have to be like? a poem in the same way right like but it's, um, got, it's got so many other challenges you know it's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you, how do you fit the muse right or like what is how do, yeah so another component and then so it's it's keeps me on my toes um i'm such a slacker 
I was going to say, nobody's ever going to accuse you of being a slacker, okay? Like, they may accuse you of many other things, but like, you're not a slacker, not, not even top 300, okay? Like, come on. That's the, that's, I think, also the, the immigrant exile thing. It is, right? It, it, it is like I, I hear you like I have a day job I do we myself and my co-host you know uh, Darian do this we also have a chicken wing business it's like okay and, and and on top of that he has a kid and a wife and I have my partner and it's like right because we don't have enough crap going on let's just keep piling more and more shit on top of it like, let's make wings yeah let's make so wings funny. it's it's like why not you know and well you know shameless plug next time you're in Miami let me know because I will take you. We make guayaba uh, queso wings. Oh my god, where where is that? Do you have a shop or no? No, no, we do a pop up. We do pop ups all over. Oh, awesome! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so the play is kind of going or it's kind of dealing with that kind of thing. Blueberry senorita. Yeah, it's kind of like we can relate. Fusion. It's talking about you know fusion and stuff like fusion of cultures and which is fusions of of homes and places and identities and all the rest. So that's cool. I got to have one of those. Yes. We'll, we'll save <laughs> you. Like, uh, have a bunch you been to the, we're going to totally get on the food. No, dale, now, dale. But have, you, have you been to Dos Croquetas? Oh, we just did a live recording there like last week. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, no, it tastes like a medianoche. That's impossible. Thank <laughs> like, you. We say that all the time. We're like, they, it does. <laughs> they are wizards is what they are. Like it's, it's only, sorcery is the only explanation for that. Croqueta. <laughs> yeah. I think there's, I think there's like a little Harry Potter in the back. So I tell him that I tell Alec that all the time. One of the owners, I'm always like, you realize that this is just magic. Like you can tell me whatever you tell me how you make it. I'm not believing you. This is literally a spell somewhere. <laughs> Santeria. Oh, like, <laughs> no, no, no. Right. That brujeria, maybe, but that Santeria is a whole other, whole other a whole ball of wax. Right. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, let's stick with brujeria. <laughs> brujeria. When brujeria is the better option, that's an interesting choice. Right. <laughs> uh, but oh, yeah, Richard. Thank you so much for for joining us. I mean, I, I like I literally I know how busy you are just by having this interview because you've got so much going on, and the fact that you you know you carved out some time for us, I, I genuinely appreciate it. And and you know, we always say that we love seeing Cuban Americans and Latinos, you know, quote unquote, make it right, whatever that means for whomever um, we're talking about. But there's a little extra something when it's also one of ours from Wichete. You know, that right. it's it's a little like, you know, yeah, yeah. He remembers when the Kmart was on La 87 Coroway. Yes, like we all speak yeah. that same language. So, dude, thank you, you know, just so much for making us proud with, with, with all hey, of your work. El Winn-Dixie. El Winn-Dixie. <laughs> oh, yeah, that figures into the memoir. And uh, uh, Frankie's Pizza. I just got this book out that they little mini, little sort of homemade book that they did on the history of Frankie's Pizza. Oh. I don't know if it's online. Some someone gave it to me. It's an author from Miami, but yeah, it's great to be here. It's great to be with family, and it's great to be at home, even though I'm in Maine for the summer. But it's a lot cooler up here. I gotta do it. So <laughs> see, for damn sure, you're not, you're not sweating. You know, like just by existing up in Maine. All right. All right, buddy. All well, right, man. Well, and, and let me know about let me know about the wings. Oh, I listen. I'm following you now on Instagram. I'll DM you next time we do one that you're down oh. here. Okay. All right, man. All right. Thanks again. See ya. Hey, one minute. 
Pero Let Me Tell You is co-hosted by Darian Borges and Ismaeliano, produced by Ismaeliano, and our theme, Pero Let Me Tell You Freestyle, is composed by Michael Angelo Lomlaplex, the official gay guy. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, folks. I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 